Well, as we slowly have some of our part-timers return and some visitors who come in during this time of year, just to catch you up on where we've been this fall with our sermon series, we've been studying the person of King David and his gifts and abilities and talents and character traits. And thus far, what we've talked about is David, who was discovered or called out of being a shepherd boy, and he had such an interesting mixture of who he was. He was On the one hand, very musical. He taught himself how to play the lyre, a stringed instrument. He was a poet, a musician. He was talented. He was sensitive. At the same time, he was brave, taught himself how to use a sling, eventually would fight on behalf of Israel, fight a giant, would be a warrior, eventually would be a fugitive. Then he would become king. He was a great friend to Jonathan. He was forgiving and merciful. He had so many different aspects of who he was. And as we'll discover next week, he also had a downside. You know, he wasn't perfect, like all of us are not perfect. But David, all along the way, especially up till this point, he was so focused on worshiping the Lord. And what does the Lord want? And how can I serve the Lord? His heart was given over to the Lord when he was called. It was said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. And he always sought the Lord and always tried to do what the Lord would have him do. And as he began to get the people established and himself established as king, he brought in the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence to his people. When God came down and established his covenant with his people, when they came out of Egypt at Mount Sinai, and God had released his people from slavery, he gave them the Ten Commandments and he said, this is going to be our covenant. This is how our relationship is going to work. And then the tablets, the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, were contained in a box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And that box went with them and represented the Lord's presence. And also in in there was the manna and Aaron's rod that represented the miracles and the provision of God. So you have this representation that had left Israel for a while and now had returned. And the presence of God was with his people again. However, as David looked around and he realized they were in the promised land where God promised to deliver them, when they were in slavery in Egypt, and now they're here, and God expanded their borders and established his kingship, and he built his homes, and he lived in a nice place, and he had multiple homes, and he said, wait a second. God lives in temporary housing. This is not good. The housing that was made for God was meant for traveling, packing up quickly, moving on leading the people through the wilderness. This is not good. He needs to be in a great house, a great place. The ark is a great place for the people to gather and to worship the Lord, but it's not a permanent place. It's not a big place. It's not a wonderful place for people to gather for worship, to sacrifice, and represents God's presence where the heart of the people really is, where David is, the king is. The king of all creation, the king, the real king over the people of Israel needs to have an appropriate palace, a temple. 
a place of worship. And so David tells Nathan, initially, I need to do this. And Nathan says, whatever's on your heart. So it all sounds good. What's really neat is that David didn't initially, although he was starting to, he was starting to slide in a little bit, the trappings of what the Lord through Moses warned Israel of. Because there was a warning that when you get to the promised land and you get established and you want a king like other nations, there's a potential hazard with that. When you have a prophet leading you, when you have a judge that is a charismatic leader that the Holy Spirit raises up, you're fine. But when you want a king like other nations, there's the potential for falling like a king of other nations, to become like a king of other nations. And so God gave a warning. Let me read it to you. This is from the book of Deuteronomy, the last book of Moses, as he was closing out his ministry, his leadership, as they were coming to the promised land. You take possession of the land, settle in, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. And what the Lord says to him, even so, he must not acquire many horses for himself or return the people to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you must never return that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself or else his heart will turn away. Also, silver and gold he must not acquire in great quantity for himself. When he has taken the throne of his kingdom, he shall have a copy of this law written for him in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall remain with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the, the Lord his God diligently, observing all the words of this law, these statutes, neither exalting himself above the other members of the community, nor turning aside from the commandment to the right and to the left. And David was beginning to realize, look, I don't want to fall into this. It looks like I'm already starting to. He was multiplying his wives. He was building up a lot of resources. He had built houses for himself, and he said, you know, maybe it's time to get things right. Not that he was really doing anything really, really bad, but he was starting to stray just a bit. And he wanted to get his priorities right. And so he said, the Lord needs to be at the center. That my life needs to be totally encompassed with stewardship for God. And so he says, I'm going to build this permanent place. That the tent, a temporary dwelling, is no longer going to represent the Lord. It's going to be a permanent place. It's going to be a wonderful place. And you know what that's going to require? as it always does, additional resources. It's going to require attention. It's going to require planning. It's going to require giving. It's going to require, eventually, singers and keepers of the temple and clergy. It's going to cost time, talent, resources, money, really We hate talk like that. But David said, when you get your priorities right, when you really understand where everything you have comes from, you want to keep him at the center. That your stewardship of all you are and all you have 
is for the Lord. And so David says to Nathan, this is on my heart. This is what I feel called to do. What do you think? And Nathan says, sounds great. So Nathan goes away and he prays. As a prophet should do after he hears something from a godly king. And Nathan hears from the Lord and Nathan says, David, you're not the one to build it. A no from the Lord. How many of you really like to hear the answer, no, from the Lord? Nobody wants to hear a no from the Lord when you pray. Lord, I really, really want, no. Nobody wants that. If you've ever had that answer before, no. Say, God, I don't understand. And you know what the Lord's answer to that is? Right. You don't. Isaiah 55 often comes to mind when I say, Lord, I don't understand, because he says, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts, for my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We can't always see the big picture. We want what we want now, and we want it done our way in our time now, no matter what it is. That's the way it works. You know, just a little history for some of you. We finished this sanctuary in 99. And it was wonderful. I was so thrilled when we finished this. And it's a beautiful structure and people love it. We love to worship here. But we thought, you know, we need a place to fellowship together too. That's really a nice place to give hospitality, to have receptions, to have conferences and classes. The bathrooms were a disaster. The kitchen was horrible. And so we thought, this is, by the way, 99. So we start planning. In 2000, 2001, 2002, we're getting ready to launch the campaign. 2003 happens. Major turmoil in our denomination. We thought, is this the time to really embark on this? And we put it on hold. And I said, really? And we had a bunch of people leave the church. It was really a tense time. So we put it on hold. So 2006, 2007, we start gearing up again, thinking, okay, we're solid again. Things are really going well. What happened in 2008? The recession. We put it on hold. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm getting really tired of this. What's the problem here? I don't get it. The bathrooms are really bad now. The kitchen is barely... Oh, by the way, the bathrooms are now functional. They're open for business. <laughs> and the vestibule's open too. It's really great. And wait till you see the new fellowship hall. It's fabulous. But it was in the Lord's time. I don't understand it. I'm getting old. I would have loved to have used that for the last 15 years when I was younger. And my kids were still here. doesn't work that way. Stewardship sometimes is for the future. It's not always what I want now. It's sometimes the Lord saying, 
No. And you know, the reality is God's wisdom is so far beyond us sometimes. I think back over the history of Israel. When they left the promised land, who led them out? Moses did. Moses was a different person and he had a different generation of people. He had an enslaved people. God needed a warrior leader to lead them into the promised land. So he raised up Joshua. That was the right call. When God established the people of Israel as a godly people, with the kind of king that he wanted in Israel, it was a warrior king, a shepherd king, David. He already made his name great. But when the temple was named, he didn't want it to be David's temple. He wanted it to be Solomon's temple. Solomon, whose name means peace. God's peace, his presence, resides there. See, if God said no to you, what would you do? I'm just going to build my house bigger. I'm just going to take my ball and go home. I'm really angry with you, God. You didn't do it my way. See, but God's wisdom sometimes is beyond our wisdom. He has a plan. And we don't always like his plan. But we need to trust his plan. David could have got really upset. And instead of saying, after all the things I've done for you, Lord, he said, Lord, you've always been good to me. And if this is what you want, I'm going to make sure that this house gets built. I'm going to pay the price for that. I'm going to gather everything that's necessary to build this house. I'm going to set in place the workers that need to be doing the work. And when my son comes along, he's going to have everything he needs to make sure that this is a success. You know, he could have been like the guy in the gospel reading for today. He could have been like the guy like, you know, I've got all these resources. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns. And so with my resources, I'm going to take care of me. And then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And he didn't do that. He went about making sure that the future was secure. You know, when we redid this sanctuary, I'll never forget, we were doing the capital campaign for that. And there was a guy, he was one of our leaders, actually. And he has since moved away, so I won't tell you his name, but I'll tell you what he said. We're raising funds and getting people on board, and I will never forget what he said. He said, if someone wants to get a seat in this church, let them pay for it themselves. And I was devastated. I thought, if that's the mindset, what's the future of the church? See, our mindset can't be about us. It's got to be about building his kingdom, 
not our kingdom. It's about reaching out to others. It's about the legacy we leave, not of the things that we've accumulated, the life that we've built, providing for the things for our children and grandchildren, but the legacy of faith that we leave. That when we get to heaven, we want our children and our grandchildren and our friends there with us. And what we do with our life and our resources <clears throat> is what defines us. It's the witness and testimony of what's critical and important to our lives. The stewardship, if you will, of all that we are and all that we have. You know, what David was warned about and really what is going to lead, to lead to next week and what happens to David. And what I thought about when I thought about these readings and next week's readings are four S's. Because it came out in the warning in Deuteronomy. The first is silver, which represents greed. Our country encourages stockpiling. Building up for ourselves. Fear of the future, not trusting the Lord. That's what we see over and over again. And living for number one. And that was one of the first warnings in Deuteronomy. Because when we do that, it leads to the second S a lot of times, and that's sloth. Slothful living. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to retire. It's all about me anyway, isn't it? I mean, I worked all my life. So now I pay me back. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my time and my resources? How can I honor and serve you and be a witness to those around me? Which is what David basically is saying now that he's settled into his house and he's expanded the kingdom and the kingdom is becoming secure. See, but what we'll find out next week is he does eventually fall into sloth. And then the third S is actually representative of a wider, a wider name. The third S is sex. But it's really pleasure. Pursuing pleasure. Happiness. Anything I want. But not necessarily what the Lord wants. David's downfall happened to be sex. But you know, something else that brought this to mind is, many of you know because I quote from this periodically, The Economist is one of the magazines that I take. And the last page of The Economist is always an obituary of sorts. It's like a take on someone who has died. And a couple of weeks ago, it happened to be Hugh Hefner. Y'all know who Hugh Hefner was, right? Not normally someone who is quoted from a pulpit. <laughs> Let me read to you just a couple of lines. But instead of thou shalt not, the creed Puritan killed joys down the century, he was freedom. 
Blessed is the rebel, he cried. No progress without him. Uh huh. And then he questioned, what was this hypocritical hang-up America had with this bugaboo of sin? Sex was fun. Whether it was morally good or bad wasn't the point. The morality depended upon the situation. And who defined the situation? He did. Surprise! Yet America was, had swarmed since its foundation with censors, prigs, prudes, and blue noses intent on sexual repression. Terrible. I mean, you'd almost have to read the article to just see how he became so myopic on pleasure represented by sex. But that wasn't exclusively it. But when we turn our eyes off the, off the Lord, it's silver and it's sloth and it's sex or pleasure. And then finally... And it, what sums it up is self. And a term I've been using on Wednesday night in the class I've been teaching, the sovereign self. Where I determine who I am, what God looks like for me, what morality is really about, who or what I should live for. No one should tell me what to believe or how to live. Self. The sovereign self. And there was an article in the Saturday paper, the religious section, recently, The Ken Commandments, written, a book written by a man by the name of Ken. And Ken would tell you who his God is and what his commandments are and how to find inner peace for you, for himself. Came out of Hollywood. Lived a very riotous life for a while and then realized that was bankrupt and just went on a search and, you know, has a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And, a, and he created his own religion and his own morality and it works for him. Self. What did God say through Moses? It's the word. And it's trusting him. And it's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with all that I am and all that I have? What legacy do you want me to leave with my life? How do I live for you in all ways? As much as David wasn't perfect, the legacy we have from him Seventy-three psalms. Fifty-nine references to his life in the New Testament. That our Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior, would be called the Son of David. And come through his line. And that God said... You want to know how you can know this life for sure? Not because you can be perfect. Because like David, you will fall. You need a Savior. And not that you can lead this life on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. 
to empower you to live the life I call you to. To be my witness. To learn what it means that with all that I have and all that I do, I want to serve him. Because the legacy I want to leave. I love my family. I love my friends. I love my church. And I want everyone I know to share eternity with me. That's the legacy I want to leave. And I want this place in the worship and in the fellowship and in the discipleship to grow his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, so often in our culture we are encouraged to live for ourselves. To determine what you should look like. What's right and wrong. That we should leave for our families things. Success. Instead of a legacy of loving you and thereby loving them for all eternity. Lord God, help us, teach us, empower us to learn what it means to love you with all that we are and all that we have, to be a witness to all those around us so that we might share eternity with all that we love, all those around us. And the legacy we leave would be one that we lived for your glory, that we were people after your own heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.